0: Welcome back. Welcome back. <laughs> uh, this case has been requested a few times. I think. Upwards of two. Upwards of one or two. <laughs> or maybe I just wanted to do it. I don't remember, honestly, but if you requested yeah, it. Does it count if we requested it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, I fill out the case suggestion form just the same as anybody else. <laughs> The only difference is they make when I fill them out, I make gold records. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and a huge thank you to our buddy Sloan for researching the ever-living shit out of this. Our buddy Sloan. <laughs> is that what I... <laughs> yeah. Ooh, sorry. But anyway, thanks, girl. Yeah, thanks, girl. On January 27th, 2015, Henry Van Breda calls the Cape Town emergency number 107 to report that his family has been brutally attacked.
2: What is even What is your emergency?
1: I um Yeah, I need an ambulance. Lots of.
2: Um, you need an seen. ambulance.
1: Yes, please.
2: What's your name, sir? Uh,
1: Henry Fabrada.
2: Henry, what's the yeah. contact number you're phoning from?
1: Um, my home phone number, but um, I'm not sure what the home phone number is. My cell phone We're at 12 Husker Street, please.
2: What is this number that you're phoning from? Is there someone else that can speak, if you're not able to?
1: No, um,
2: Who else is in the house?
1: There's no one else. I need the
2: contact number, please. Yeah, okay. And you need the ambulance to go to what?
1: Number 12, Hoskes Street.
2: Hoskes.
1: Hoskes, G-O-S.
2: G-O-S. K-E. What area is this?
1: It's in Stellenbosch, and it's, it's in... The estate.
2: Number 12, Hoskes Viet in yes. Stellenbosch.
1: Yes.
2: I'm not picking it up for Stellenbosch. I'm picking it up for what um, well, We're in,
1: okay, in the in Zalzer Winelands, it's an estate. Um, D E, and another word, Z A L Z E. D E
2: Z A L Z E.
1: Yeah, D E.
2: I'm not picking it up, eh, for Stellenbosch. What area in Stellenbosch are you in?
1: Um, I, I don't know. That's all that... We're in zoltzer and it's an estate. It's a security estate.
2: Are you sure it's 12 Hosker Street? Yes, Hosker absolutely. is in Bootesig Molnitten, eh? And you're saying you're out in Stellenbosch? Yes. What? And you don't know what area in Stellenbosch?
1: It's... It, I'm not sure how much more specific I need to be. In
2: Stellenbosch?
1: Yeah, can you please just send an ambulance, or more than one ambulance, to Desolter, in Stellenbosch? Desolter? Can
2: you,
1: yeah, can you find that, please?
2: Desolter.
1: One eternity later.
2: What, and you the patient?
1: No, no, my family is, someone attacked my family. Hey. Someone has attacked my family in my house
2: okay, so you need the police or the <laughs> well, ambulance.
1: and an ambulance please yeah who is um, injured my i think everyone
2: everyone in your house everyone
1: four people yes
2: adults two adults
1: two adults and two well three adults and one teenage girl yes
2: what are the injuries
1: um head injuries i'd look.
2: Are they conscious?
1: I, d- I don't think so. My sister's moving, but that's it.
2: Suspects still on scene, Lisa? Sorry? Are there any suspects on scene?
1: Uh, no, no. They ran away.
2: With what were they attacked?
1: I, um, I, an, an axe. I, it, it was... I, I, I think I blacked out, and I've just woken up. With an
2: axe. Okay, stay
1: on the line. I'm going to speak to the police. Thank you, but please send an ambulance as quickly as possible. Yes.
0: Okay, so at this point, we're now over five minutes into this emergency call, and the operator is just now asking for the details of the emergency. It's astonishing. Yeah, what were they talking about the entire time? Yeah, she's just like... And then so many times after he gives the address, like... Later on in the call, I think I have it, um, she's like, okay, so you said, and you don't know your street name then? And he's like... I've said it till I was blue in the fucking face. Yeah. Like, it's 12 Hoska Street. <laughs> That's the address. She was very confused about the difference between Hoska Street, Desalza Estates, and the city of Stellenbosch. None of those... Rang any bells to her? No. No. I'm not going to say that she's incompetent. But I'm also not going to say that she is competent either, so. Yeah, that's very I mean it, aren't you supposed to ask initially what the emergency is? I thought that was like first thing. Yeah, cuz I know like a lot of dispatchers have a hard time calming people down. A lot of the calls that we hear people call in and they're freaking out and they're like, ah! and the the dispatcher <laughs> is like, "Okay, you've got to calm down. Like I need to get information from you." Um, in this situation it's almost like henry is trying to calm her down a little bit like yeah i feel like was this maybe it was her first night on the job i don't know maybe she's never used google maps before but i feel like she needed to do a little mulan style and let's get down to business that's true they needed to get down to some business it's yeah. business time hmm So, aside from her total incompetency, which is what I think, Mm -hmm. and Henry's complete lack of urgency or emotion, here we can see Henry distancing himself from the attack without being asked. So, when she does finally ask what the emergency is, she also asks what the injuries to his family are and how they were sustained. So, she's not asking where he was during the attack or why it took him so long to call for help. Yet he does answer those questions and includes that extraneous information that he must have just blacked out and he's just woken up. You know, those are not answers to with what were they attacked? Where were they hit? And then he's like, "Well, I I was in the bathroom. I blacked out. I just now woke up." She didn't ask you that. So those are things immediately for him to say I wasn't there. Right. It wasn't me. Shaggy. Oh, playing it like Shaggy, yeah. Are
2: you the only one that's conscious? You know yes. the others are unconscious. Hold. Yeah. Let's be, speak to police to check on your number, where you are. if you don't know your street name, you say.
1: The, the street name is Husker Street.
2: Okay, I'm not picking it up on the contact number that you're giving me. Okay. Henry?
1: Yeah?
2: I've got ambulance services on the line now. Okay. So, um, he gave me a few um, different addresses, uh, the one he's going to go with, this is 10 aleman Street, in Stellenbosch.
1: Yeah. yeah, if you go to 10 Aleman Street, um, are you sending one there?
2: Okay, tell me, uh, what is the street name?
1: My street name is Hoska or Goska.
2: Okay, the street name okay, there, what is the place, what is
1: Yeah, just, yeah.
2: What is the place name? Kostka. G- street. G O S K E. Yeah. In on G O S
1: K E. Yeah. K E. Yeah.
2: It's a street name. Yeah. I'm trying to check this. Hold on for me. Can I get a No. I get it for both. a moment. If
1: you just. Uh, okay. Number 10 element is just past my street. If you send an ambulance.
2: The is it, is it, is it anamon or Alaman? Alaman. Okay, spell that for me. get the name? A double
1: L. A double L. E M. E N. A double N.
2: A double N.
1: So Alaman two Ns.
2: Okay, I'm not picking up that. one. ah, uh, make sure, uh Let me just write it here on the thingy. This is number 10, eh? allaman. Hmm.
1: You get any Alamon Street. No. Because if you send someone there, then I, could, I can meet them in the road. Alamon Street.
2: Not Alamon, it's Alamon. Yeah. Is it which area in Stellenbosch is it?
1: Uh, it's in Dezaltse. But it's Dezaltse. Boswell.
2: But the area in Stellenbosch, is it? Dezaltse. Dezaltse. D-E-Z-A-L-T-S-E.
1: Z-E? yeah Z E D E Z A. So, Z-A.
2: so Z-A uh, uh, Zalza, okay.
1: Yeah. Z-E. Golf estate. Oh. It's 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 a, it's a golf estate. Golf estate, okay. estate type thing, yeah. Okay.
2: Okay, what kind of injury is there?
1: Um my, my my family and we were attacked. But, oh. okay, got an oh. act With an X w-
2: unconscious disease. Unconscious, unconscious,
1: huh? Yes, and bleeding from the head,
2: please. <laughs> okay. Okay, okay, just wanted to get the right thing here. Oh, un- so we'll send it. You just keep your phone open in case you get lost.
1: Yeah, can you see? Uh, okay. Yeah, they
2: still Yeah, they'll they'll on my mobile way.
1: phone. Okay. On my, yeah. mo- on my mobile phone, I'll be out in the street and I'll leave okay. the ambulance there. Okay. okay. How, you, how long will the ambulance take?
2: Uh, it won't be too long. Uh-huh. They'll send the ambulance out as soon as okay. possible. Okay. Then. Okay. Thank, Thank you, you, sir. Bye-bye. Sure. Okay. Bye. okay,
0: that must have felt like a long time. And we even cut out several minutes of the call to remove some of the particularly redundant information where he's spelling the name of the estate over and over and over, stuff like that. Yet we hear that Henry's entire family have sustained head injuries with an axe and are bleeding from the head. None of them are conscious, but Henry's sister, a teenage girl, is moving, he says. At no time does Henry make an effort to administer first aid to any of his family members or even mention that he tried to help them, but he couldn't. You know, nothing like that. I tried to do CPR. It wasn't working. I don't know how to do CPR, Right, and I feel like we've heard of a lot of cases where, or I could just imagine, because sometimes you're not willing to admit or like accept the fact that something terrible has happened or you're in shock or whatever, and you do anything you can to administer CPR or right, yeah, to resuscitate them, because it's like, you don't want them to die, but right. he's like, hey, that bitch is moving. Yeah, yeah, he's like, I mean, my sister's moving, um, that's about it though. Should I just leave her there then? Yeah and he's he's smoking cigarettes while he's doing this i, I cannot priorities. be stressed enough right his voice is never raised in frustration he never asked to speak to someone else to speed up the process he never says anything like my family could be dying please hurry or this is life and death like it seems like if you're sitting there and you know that even if you think that everybody else is dead he does state that Marley is moving. So if... And again, I know we always say this. You can't say how somebody should act on a 911 call. But this one is... I feel like we always say that. We're like, I'm not saying that it's wrong. But... Yeah. Like, this this is the exception to, to the rule. And so are all of them. But, like, <laughs> he literally... He never, ever, ever says like, okay, you just need to get somebody here. These people could be dying. I need help. Like my sister could die. What are you doing here? Like, yeah, I think that the problem is there's not a sense of urgency in a fucking urgent situation. Yeah. And he, I mean, he does say stuff like, I don't really know how much more specific I could be, but I saw, um, some comments on YouTube, which is like the authority. Oh, for sure. (laughs) But somebody was like, he literally goes into like ordering pizza mode and he's like, yeah, I mean, so, I mean, I could, I could give you this other address if you can find that one. I could walk out and meet you. And like, those are good solutions, I think. Like he's, it does seem like he's trying to be helpful to get them the information that they need, which is a huge aspect that you want to look at is the person being helpful or are they hindering getting the correct information out? Like he's cooperating. Yeah. But he's certainly not... It's incredibly subdued. Yeah. the All total, this call is over 25 minutes. So, and we only, you know, I think we only have like, I don't know how long, seven minutes or something of it. So if that felt like a long time, triple that, you know, like he's sitting there for 25 fucking minutes and his sister is probably not gonna make it you one would think based on the injuries the rest of your family has sustained but to see her moving and be like well i guess we'll wait it out and see yeah and then at the end he's like okay so how long will the ambulance take then and the lady is like um, it, it won't be too long. He's like, Oh, okay. It's not going to be too long. That's fine. <laughs> yeah. And she's like, yeah, they'll send one out as soon as possible. He's like, okay, thanks so much. Bye-bye. Like that information works for me. Yeah. That's not, that's not an answer. It won't be too long. Well, how much is too long? Yeah. I need actual minutes here. Yeah. Like, but he didn't care. Oh, okay. That maybe that's not fair, but it didn't seem like he cared because yeah, I, uh, it's not hurting my feelings, what you're saying. Okay. <laughs> I'm just i care about your feelings <laughs> the home that henry is calling from is owned by his parents martin and Therese. okay i'm not sure how to say this name it looks like theresa to me but the way that they pronounced it in all the videos i saw was theresa i don't know i have no idea van Brada. the van bradahs were both from wealthy south african families and had done very well for themselves and their children Martin was a millionaire director of multiple companies. Among them was the international property firm Engel & Volkers, a private school in Pretoria that he developed. And he was the founder of a company that tracks and recovers stolen vehicles. Which I would think would be a very big company in South Africa. Oh, for sure. So much crime there. Yeah, that's taken a... You see a need and you feel it. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Gone in 60 seconds. Oh, my God. I love that movie. (laughs) Martin and Teresa had three children, Rudy, who was 22, Henry, 20, and Marley, 16, at the time of this attack. The Vambardas moved to Perth, Australia, when the boys were in middle school, and the family lived there for eight years. And I think they moved there for Martin's business interests. Um, Rudy and Henry both attended the private school Scotch College in Perth, Western Australia, Henry went on to study physics at the University of Melbourne, and Rudy graduated from Melbourne's Trinity College, and in 2015 was in a master's program for engineering at University of Melbourne. Thanks, girl. I got you. Martin, Teresa, and Marley returned to South Africa in 2014, just months before the attack on their family. At the time of the attack, both Henry and Rudy were home from school on break, and the whole Van Breda family was together under one roof. The Van Breda family was described by an acquaintance as a beautiful, gorgeous family and very close. But all was not as happy as it seemed. Oh my gosh. I know. It's eerie. Are you getting scared? A little. On the hot summer night of Wednesday, January 27th, 2015, the Van Breda family was at home spending time together. Isn't it crazy, though, to think about... Just because we live in the yes. Northern Hemisphere, like yes. a hot summer night in January. Do you know how many times I typed July? <laughs> because I was like, it was a hot summer night. It was July. Obviously. And then I started looking at other dates in the case and it was like, Marley gets released from the hospital in March of 2015. And I'm like, the fuck? <laughs> I know. <laughs> this happened in July. How did she get released? In- and I was like, I've got to have my years off. And then I was like, God dang it. It's no. January. I mean, that's when we were there and- um talking to his name is Franz he was like yeah um you know in the heat of the summer like around Christmas I'm like what yeah it's just so it's like a pineapple upside down cake oh your top is on your bottom (laughs) (laughs) yeah it's just really hard for I literally had to go back through and change all the July's to January because I was like well damn it yeah fuck that up yeah they're like in deep into their winter right now yeah the family lived in the dissolves of winelands golf estates in stellenbosch near cape town south africa i feel like by the time we've all listened to this call we all know everything about where they live (laughs) because we all know how to spell it we all know everything about it stellenbosch is amazing by the way it's so beautiful and they have amazing wine (laughs) like we went to a a winery or like oh yeah it seems like wine is huge there yes it's really really pretty and that is a really safe area right I felt safe there. Okay. Yeah, they, that area in particular, they said, I mean, of course, they live in a, a gated community. um, But it seemed like the area of Stellenbosch, like the, that crime was not so, like they said, in other areas, when night falls, like, literally, you better get the fuck out of town. But not there. that it was, you could... You could safely take a cab at night if you wanted to. Right, I think I felt more unsafe because we stayed on a, um, Roybo's farm, and I felt more unsafe at night because of porcupines and jaguars or jaguars, if Jeez, you will. Jeez, though, Yeah because that shit's everywhere. Oh my God. So I was like, I'm going to take a walk. And they're like, you probably don't want to do that. I'm like, okay, I'll just stay inside. <laughs> yeah. Bring your harpoon with you. I know. <laughs> this is my walking harpoon. <laughs> I'm going to take my grenade launcher. No big deal. <laughs> yeah. No big deal. Flamethrower, whatever. <laughs> uh, the estate is highly secured with 24 hour monitoring. Now when we say gated community, like here in the States, we think, like, a gate that 99% of the time doesn't fucking work. Right. And you just, like, hurry up and scoot in behind the person in front of you because yeah, no it's never going to work. Yeah. yeah. So, or they just leave it open oh, all the sure. time. Yeah. yeah. So, that's, like, to me, that's what a gated community and is. And I feel like the gate is more for the pool than anything. <laughs> like, oh, my gosh. Know. The pool is hard to get into. Yeah. But the, the community itself... like there are no other fences usually it's just like a gate at the entrance and then they're like well the gate's broken we'll just leave it open like whatever (laughs) but here that's not the case there are electric fences all around and they're high voltage like Mm -hmm. if you're gonna climb into this bitch you're gonna get fried (laughs) like it's very serious they have constant cctv motion detectors 24 guards on the premises and an access controlled gate that works your flamethrower is rendered useless there. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) And jumping is useless too, because you will get your ass fried. Can't jump over that fence. And it had barbed wire at the top, I think too. I'm sure razor wire. Yeah. Yeah. So they, they really, I mean, this is, this is really reminds me of the Oscar Pistorius case.
1: You know, they were in Pretoria.
0: Yeah, they were in Pretoria and they were saying, you know, he said the same thing. He was afraid of an intruder. and, normally in South Africa, like as a whole, sure, that adds up because there is a lot of crime in many of the areas. Right. However, this area is hard as fuck to break into. Oh, yeah. So, and it's like simply not worth it to steal a laptop or whatever. So, it's Unless just, you want to get your ass fried.
1: Exactly. Once you get your
0: ass. <laughs> shut up. Oh, shut no. up. <laughs> so. Um, You're stupid. Yeah. Sorry, guys. 12 and oh it's it this was considered one of the safest places to live in South Africa like hands down it's gonna get an award. Darla you've never even been there so I don't know why you're acting like you even know these things. I've read upwards of two articles. Okay. News articles. Well, I mean I've I went there on vacation so I basically have lived there so I know. And your ass could not have gotten into Dizalza. No, for sure. No, you would have got fried. 12 Hoska Street was a four-bedroom, four-bathroom house with a pool and was described as a modern Cape vernacular-style home in a real estate listing. The prestigious estate has a golf course, winery, restaurant, and the Klein, Zaltza, and Winelands golf lodges. The picturesque Zaltza is not the setting that comes to mind when deadly home invasion is reported in the news. Downtown Cape Town, maybe but not the high-security, affluent community in which the Van Vamberdaws lived. Still, tragedy befell them. The emergency call came in at approximately 7.12 a.m. The police are notified at 7.15 a.m. and are dispatched to the, s-
1: to to the, the estate.
0: estate. <laughs> <laughs> and are dispatched to the estate. Upon arrival, police find the bodies of 54-year-old Martin, 55-year-old Teresa, and 22-year-old Rudy. All three were pronounced dead. 16-year-old Marley was found in critical condition due to head injuries and a severed jugular vein. Good God. It's a miracle that she survived. Like, I do not even understand it. See, that would be on that show, I Survived, because... Oh, yeah. And it's so crazy to me, like, how all of her other family members didn't stand a chance, yet here she is, you know? Mm -hmm. Like, it's just... how, How does that happen? Yeah, that's amazing. She's got... A purpose for sure yeah it seems like and 16 god that's like not that the other family members weren't brave but i don't know i just i'm in awe of that that's just amazing yeah that's that's determination to stick around for sure i mean yeah it's just amazing marley was rushed to the hospital where she underwent multiple surgeries and remained in intensive care for months Goodness. she was later diagnosed with retrograde amnesia and recalls nothing about the night her family was attacked so I feel like that's this silver lining kind of like for her mental health probably yeah. that she doesn't have to like relive this over and over. But I do wonder though, because sometimes you hear about, or I could imagine there's some PTSD there still, even if she can't remember, you know what I mean? Like I've for heard sure. of, what was that case? The the toy box killer and the woman, she mm. would wake up in a panic and like, you know, would yeah. rec- recant these like little snippets, but they were in the form of nightmares, you know? Right. Yeah. Yeah, but she had been drugged so heavily, right? That Wait, she does didn't. Recant, I mean, recall. Yeah, it's that's okay. <sighs> so even though that's kind of a silver lining for her, that's a huge blow to the investigation because it would be so easy an eyewitness. Yeah, to be like, was it a stranger? Was it your brother? Like, you're gonna know the difference. But I mean, that's just obviously that's tough, and she doesn't have she doesn't have the recollection there. And I don't think that's something you want to try to bring back either like yeah i would consider that a blessing absolutely for her yeah Yeah. 20 year old henry was in the house but unlike the rest of his family suffered only minor lacerations to his upper chest and forearm and small stab wounds to his left abdomen he did yeah did he did he need to go to the hospital for his paper cuts what i mean they literally are basically paper cuts (laughs) He did go to the hospital. Of course he did. (laughs) Um, He did exhibit some minor bruising and swelling to his face and right thigh and some small abrasions and scratches on his back. (laughs) Yeah. It's like, I feel like when... I don't make fun of him, but maybe when he gets older, I will. But sometimes when my older son falls down, he's like, I scrape myself. Sometimes I want to be like, okay, you want me to bring you to the hospital? (laughs) Well, because that's what you do to me all the time. Yeah, because it's funny. Do you need an ambulance? Exactly. Do you need an ambulance? (laughs) But, like, right now, he wouldn't get the joke yet. Right. But that's what I feel like about this. Like, I mean, he did have a stab wound in his stomach. I mean, that's pretty... I've seen Scream, though, because to make it seem plausible you got to give yourself a flesh wound true to okay i'm part of this attack as well exactly i was injured also yeah and also, i mean some of these like the scratches and stuff those are consistent with defense defensive wounds i would think yeah yeah and yeah i mean you see this a lot too when an attack is by somebody who's part of the family their wounds are disproportionate to the rest of whoever the victims are for sure so like diane yeah an axe wound is much different than a little kitchen knife you're talking about diane downs yeah diane downs her kids were shot like in the face yeah and she gets a little fucking basically like a ricochet scratch on her damn arm yeah big difference diane and why would they shoot the children who are not a threat and leave you essentially unharmed Mm -hmm. who is the threat of not getting what they want right kind of thing so doesn't make any sense Mm -mm. the shorts he was wearing were also blood stained though his wounds did not produce enough blood to have soaked his shorts and we'll talk about the blood evidence as we get later into the case as we get later (laughs) further (laughs) words man they're hard they are hard a stark contrast to the rest of his family who all sustained head injuries from the same weapon and axe that's another thing too his injuries are In like his upper chest yeah his chest it's like little tis but a flesh wound <laughs> on his chest and his forearm these people were hit on their head with an axe big fucking difference yeah exactly. like even the location is different As the police began their crime scene investigation, they found valuables on the ground floor undisturbed. On the dining room table, there was a laptop in Teresa's handbag, which was opened and had nothing missing from it. So, the intruder aspect, unless they just wanted to kill everyone in his family minus Henry and not take any valuables or anything, it goes out the window, right? I mean, like that's a little bit, yeah. I mean, and they're saying that nothing was taken from it. Teresa is not here to say I had, I happen to you know have a thousand dollars cash on me or something. Right. But um, from what they can tell, there's nothing missing from it. It's rand, by the way. It's not cash, so I'm so sorry. Dollars. I took out. What would that be? Fifty thousand rand. Probably. Yeah. So you know, it's. But they're also going to go through their bank records and things and see if there a was large a amount med- of cash or you know whatever for sure. is taken out. Yeah. So. From what they can tell, nothing has been stolen. And and Henry never says anything is stolen. He never says, yeah, there was something that was here in the house, and now that's gone or anything like that. So, you know, we don't have anything like that. In the kitchen, they found cigarette butts on the floor, a bottle of wine on the counter, and drawers which contained the family's kitchen knives left open. Near the back kitchen door, there was a pantry which had contained the axe used in the attack, and that was confirmed by the by the van berda housekeeper that that the axe was had been kept in that pantry and that that was the same axe that came from inside the home so she confirmed that it was theirs quick question does anyone out there keep an axe in their pantry because i'm living life wrong if that's what we're supposed to be doing i feel it's an odd place for an axe i was assuming it would have come from the garage the shed or something yeah well, they didn't have a shed, but what if, they had a big garage. But, like, why? I don't know. A hatchet, maybe. An axe in the pantry? Yeah, I don't know the measurements of the axe either. Maybe it, I think it was an axe, though. I don't think it was a hatchet. Yeah. I don't know. Maybe they use them for different stuff. I don't know. Maybe she was chopping firewood. She could have for a braai. It's like a grill, like you grill out, but it's called a braai. Mm, maybe. I don't could know. Could be. We use them for outdoor things here.: Yeah. So I don't know. Didn't bring your axe with you, did you? <laughs> <laughs> uh, police found the bloodstained axe on the middle landing of the staircase. So it's a, it's a two-story house. And the if you go onto YouTube and look up Tracy Stewart, uh, she's with Cape Town, et etc. She has a lot of really good videos, and she does one that's like has a, a diagram of the house and where everything was, if you want to see exactly like where Henry says he was standing, where the bodies were found, where the weapons were found and things like that. Mm. So now we get to Henry's account because right now he's the only witness. Police asked him to describe what he remembers of the attack. According to Henry, the rest of his family was asleep, but he couldn't sleep. He'd gotten up, and he said he went to bed later than everybody else too. Well, when you drink a lot of wine, sometimes it is hard to go to sleep. Sure. And I think he was whatsapping with maybe his girlfriend or cause that Marley was whatsapping before bed with her boyfriend mm. too, but she, they went to bed. The rest of them went to bed much earlier than he did. Mm-hmm. He got up about three thirty to use the bathroom. And so he and Rudy shared a room and inside that room, they had a shared bathroom. So it was like, you know, further into the room, mm-hmm. however you would say that. <laughs> and Henry says that, while he's in the bathroom, he had his phone with him. He hears a noise, and so he gets up, and he kind of peeks through the doorway, and he sees a tall, well-built black man wearing a balaclava, gloves, and dark clothes going into the bedroom that he and Rudy shared. What is a balaclava? It's those, like, masks that just have... It's pretty much like a ski mask. It, it just has, like, the eyes and the mouth open. Okay. Here's what I don't understand, though. If it's that dark, because he says there's no lights. The only light he has is his, from his cell phone in the bathroom. He didn't turn any of the lights on, he says. And the bedroom light's not on. If this man is wearing the mask gloves and gloves and dark, clothes. and dark clothes, how can he tell if the man is black or white? Because all you're seeing is his eyeballs, basically. And like a... Like the figure of him. Yeah, that would only be a figure if it is truly that dark. Now, later he does say a light comes on, so maybe he's just putting it there. But anyway, yeah. maybe I'm splitting hairs. I don't know. That's then, a, kind of our job, though. <laughs> yeah, I guess. Then he said the masked intruder, totally unprovoked, who already has the axe that he found in their pantry. So he knew. I mean, I guess everybody keeps their axe in the pantry. I would. I honestly would really like to know that because I feel like that is... A super strange place to keep an axe. Mm -hmm. And if we do have an intruder theory here, is that a normal place there that people keep an axe? Because is that where you would naturally go to find one? Do we have any patrons that are from South Africa? I'm not 100% sure. If, if If anybody out there is listening and is from South Africa, let someone know. Yeah, is would you normally keep it in your pantry? Yeah, where would you put your axe? Yeah, because if we if we are going to believe Henry's version, then this is a person who did not live in the home, who came in already on the ground floor, got a knife from the drawer, got an axe from the pantry, and knew to look there. Like, that seems really strange to me. Me too. Like here, if, some, if an intruder is going to come in and they maybe enter through your garage and they maybe pick up stuff on their way in... That would be one thing or p- grab a knife that's out on the counter, you know, like in a or, knife block. I mean any it's common to keep knives in drawers. It's yeah. not con- you know, like yeah. that's just yeah. How would you know? I don't I know. I just I cannot imagine a situation where an intruder is going to come in and they want to rob you or whatever it is that they want to do and they go to your kitchen pantry. That's where you're going to find like the goldfish. <laughs> You know, or the Oreos—like <laughs> the—that's not where you're going to find a weapon or valuables, right? So it's just very strange that somebody would go there. Yeah, unless you're going to attack with aluminum foil.
1: Well, I don't know. you
0: know the pointy, oh, that yeah. cuts the paper cuts. There you go. That's where they came from. There you go. So he says, this guy has the axe, totally unprovoked. Rudy's sleeping. He just starts hitting Rudy with this axe. For no reason. It's rude. Yeah. Forensics tell us that Rudy was asleep when he was attacked and he probably didn't realize what was happening to him, giving him no time to even fight off his attacker. I mean, it just happened so fast. Henry says that he began calling out. He says he started calling out for help. He doesn't remember what he said. He doesn't remember if he specifically called for his father, if he just yelled. But his father... Comes into the room. So, from the hallway, the other side, because the bathroom is like, you know, through the room. His dad comes in from the door into the room and he flips on the light. And he says that when his dad saw that Rudy was being attacked, he tried to fight the intruder off, but he was attacked himself. He says that his dad tried to tackle the intruder who hit him. The way that Henry describes it is like he's kind of going in low for like a tackle. And then the guy takes the X and hits his dad in the back of the head with it. And then his dad just goes completely limp and he never sees him move after that. And Henry says this guy is laughing the whole time. God, if it's true, that's terrifying. That's absolutely, yeah, it's so creepy. During this, Henry says he, he says he's still standing in the doorway of the bathroom. He's totally frozen in fear. He can't move. But he's, he's there in the doorway, then he says the attacker leaves the room. Here's my question. If this attacker is dead set on fucking killing everybody... Why didn't he kill Henry? Yeah, does he not see Henry? Because he called out, though. Yeah, that's true. He's calling out. Why would he leave him there? That doesn't make any sense. That doesn't make any sense. Leave the room completely, and now you've got your back to somebody who could come at you from behind with a... maybe. If these people... If they're keeping an axe in their pantry, what do they have in their bathroom? Right. You could have a flamethrower in there. We don't know. <laughs> but like why would you leave your back to him and now you're you're you've got your attention elsewhere. Somebody could totally come up behind you. Totally, yeah. It's one thing if you don't know somebody else is in the house and you're taken off guard, but you you knowingly left a twenty year old guy who could be strong. I don't think Henry is, but he could be. Yeah. I could have cats. Like, (laughs) well, and the dad turned the light on. So it's not like he couldn't be seen, you know? Like, I mean, it just doesn't add up. It doesn't make any sense. No, not at all. So he says the attacker leaves the room. And then that's when he encountered Teresa and Marley in the hallway. So kind of like at the top of the stairs, but basically right outside the door of that bedroom. He said he could hear them being attacked but that he was still in the, in the bathroom, in the doorway. He hasn't moved, he says. So he didn't see it, but he could hear it. And then he says once the intruder, I guess, is satisfied with his attack on Teresa and Marley, he comes back into the bedroom. And by this time, Henry has moved from in the bathroom to kind of in between the two beds in the bedroom. Then he says that he and the intruder struggled, They were fighting over the weapons. I don't know where the axe is at this very moment. I think in his version, the intruder has now dropped the axe after the attack on Teresa and Marley. Yeah, kind of where they are laying. So at the top of the stairs, which again makes no sense because he knows that Henry is still in this room and he's going to come back in and, and attack Henry now. Why would he bring with him just a small kitchen knife? When he had an axe. Yeah, it's like bringing a knife to a gunfight. Like, why would you do that? Yeah, why would you drop your bigger weapon? So he says, they struggle. This is when the guy brandishes the knife. Maybe Henry just said, hey, can you leave the axe there? And the guy was like, oh, okay. Yeah, he's like, "Um, red light. Hold on, (laughs) bad guy. Freeze tag. Yeah, like, (laughs) I think that's honestly more plausible than his story. So... He says he pulls out um, the knife. He stabs Henry. They're fighting over the knife. He The knife is still in Henry's stomach. And then the guy turns around and begins to run away. Why? That doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Henry pulls the knife out of his stomach. Mm. He drops it there in the bedroom. So it kind of lands near the beds. And then he starts to chase. <sighs> This guy. All of a sudden he's brave and he's going (laughs) to... Yeah. So at the top of the stairs is where he finds this axe. And he sees the guy going down the stairs. And he takes the axe, he says, and he throws it at him. Missing. Of course. So then the guy goes down the stairs. So Henry starts going down the stairs after him. But then he trips and he says he falls all the way down the stairs. And then he gets up and he tried to chase the attacker through like the dining room area and through the kitchen and out their back door. So next to that pantry is the back door. But when he got outside, he said it was so dark, he couldn't see where he went. So he just came back in. Mm -hmm. So when he comes inside, he goes up the stairs and right at the top. So again, Teresa and Marley's bodies are laying right there at the top of the stairs. He doesn't get all the way up. He gets to kind of the top couple steps and he says he passes out there. He passes out for about two and a half hours. Then he gets up. He says he goes downstairs. He has a few cigarettes and he makes the emergency call. Mm-hmm. You know, cigarette smoke pushes down the toxins. It gets rid of toxins in your body. That's true. So that's probably the first step in first aid. Yeah. You're going to want to smoke some cigarettes. Yeah. You want to clean that wound out with the cigarette smoke. Yes. Okay. Well, that's understandable then. So, during the process of the investigation, though, the police learned that Henry made more than just the one call to 107 after the attack. His phone records indicate that he called his then-girlfriend, 16-year-old Bianca... Oh, my God, 16? Yeah, and he's 20. Ew. Gross. At 424 a.m., multiple times, but she didn't answer. Well, no shit. She's got school in the morning. Exactly. It's it's way after her curfew. Yeah. So... She probably had a book report due. I mean, come on. Exactly. But he doesn't mention this call. He never says I come inside and I call Bianca 27 times. Like he doesn't mention it at all. So that's Mm. why would you not do that? Concerning. Yeah. Because it's, if you had the, if you had the thought and the wherewithal to call your girlfriend, why didn't you call the emergency number? Now, remember, he says he went he went downstairs. He went through the kitchen. He came back through the kitchen, which means he passed the refrigerator multiple times, and the refrigerator had the emergency numbers posted on it because one of his excuses was he didn't know the emergency number there because they had only recently moved in, but they had the estate security. Like, the estate had their own security, so he could have called them or he could have called the 107, and that was all posted on the refrigerator. So that dog ain't going to hunt. Yeah. So there you go. In early March of 2015, Marley is released from the hospital and she leaves for a rehab center. And on March 23rd, 2015, reports emerge that a cell phone found in the home was used to search for Christopher Porco. Now, Christopher Porco killed his father and attempted to kill his mother with an ex in New York in 2004. This is a case that has fascinated me since I heard about it. His mother, Joan, still completely supports his innocence to this day, but like Marley also has no recollection recollection of the attack on her. So she doesn't remember it at all, but she fully believes that her son is, is innocent. She barely survived her attack, and honestly, when the EMTs got there, they thought they were processing the scene as if that was a dead body, and then she, I think, like made yeah, a noise or thing, yeah. yeah. And they were like, Holy shit, this woman is alive. So But was that Peter the one where the, the dad was like dying but then he was like yes. still going about his business. Like Yeah, so Peter did end up passing away from his injuries, but he went about like starting his work day. So he'd been hit multiple times with an axe and the police in, during the investigation found blood like over the sink, over the toilet so it looked like he literally it was like his body went into what do I normally do when I get up and I it was like mode. he tried it was like he tried to shave before work. He tried to pee when he got up. He goes down the stairs. The um the dishwasher I think was like left open. It was like he was trying to either get dishes out or put dishes in maybe pack his lunch for the day I mean and there's he this whole time he's gushing blood everywhere so there's just all these areas where he's gushed blood where his body like you said went into autopilot and he's getting ready for work and then he ends up collapsing in like the kitchen door that leads outside the back door and that's where he was found he was literally found like sort of in that doorway And I guess he finally just lost so much blood. That is so sad. Then he collapsed. Yeah. I mean, it's insane. And their son ended up being convicted of the murder, even though his mom unconditionally still supports him. Wow. Yeah. So while it would not be unusual for people like us maybe to go and search that case, I bet a lot of people are doing it right now because we just talked about it. I hope that none of our parents are going to end up being killed with an axe. Right. But it's very unusual that somebody in the home was searching it. They don't, this report doesn't specifically say Henry. I don't know if it was his phone or not. But then his entire family gets attacked with an axe except for him. Right. That's a little suspicious. Yeah, it's a little too close for comfort there. In mid-April 2015, Marley leaves the rehab center and goes back to the house to collect her personal belongings. That had to have been a hard day Mm -hmm. for her, bless her heart. And then she was released to the custody of her aunt and uncle because at this time she's still underage. Eighteen months after the attack, Henry is finally arrested. So police wanted to make sure they had airtight evidence before they made the arrest, and a lot of people in the media criticized them for taking too long, but... I would never want that job anyway because you can't do anything right. Like if you jump the gun on it or if you Yeah. And they like we have the gift of hindsight. You know, we're looking at everything. We know exactly what happened, what the outcome was, the evidence and all this kind of stuff. They're in it as it's happening. It's like being in a corn maze and we are above it being able to see where you could go. Like it's really easy for us to play like Monday morning quarterback, I feel like. Good references. <laughs> Thank you. I don't, I've never, I'm never quarterbacked. Uh, Surprise. So, you're built like a linebacker, though. Thank you. Um, But, you know, we've talked about this in other cases too. If you take something to trial and you get a not guilty verdict, you're fucked. Like, if you don't have enough evidence to prove your case beyond a reasonable doubt, then you're done. Like, you can't try it again. So they've really got to get it right the first time if they're really wanting to do it right. So mm-hmm. I applaud them for that. June thirteenth, 2016, Henry's attorneys, so Peter Bota and Lorinda Van Niekirk reported that Henry turned himself in when they found out he was going to be arrested. He was charged with three counts of murder, one count of attempted murder and defeating the ends of justice, which I think is like our obstruction of justice. The state prosecutors, Susan Galloway and Megan blows agreed to the bail conditions and magistrate Langello Jumba, I think granted bail. So his bail conditions were, 100,000 rands, which is about 7,000 U.S. dollars. He had to surrender his passports and other travel documents. He could not travel outside of Western Cape. He could not come within 500 meters of an international port of entry. He had to report to the police station Monday and Friday before 8 p.m., and he had to have no contact or communication with the state's witnesses. So, and I guess he was, that's pretty much like being on house arrest. Right, I would think so. Through the trial we've gotten to the point of the trial basically at this point so in the next episode we're going to go through the trial as always um we'll be back next week with the next episode if you want to get part two right now then you can go to the patreon yeah you can join the patreon you can get it the early release of it um before everybody else does otherwise we'll catch you next week Bye. bye Get in on the conversation on Facebook and Instagram at Killer Queens Podcast and join our Facebook discussion group at Killer Queens Podcast, where we discuss cases covered on the show and all things 90s. If you want to submit a case to be covered on the show, visit www.killerqueenspodcast.com slash case submission and complete the form. If we cover the case, we'll even give you a shout out on the show. Killer Queens is researched, mixed and mastered by our own damn selves. The theme song for the show is created and composed by Stephen Toby. You can find more of Steven's work on SoundCloud. And our logo was created by Sloane Williams of Sophisticated Crayon. You can find more of her work on Etsy. Lylas! Lylas. <laughs>